Amen. Well, yesterday uh, was a good day in the McLean household. Uh, for starters, uh, it was Ezra's birthday yesterday. Uh, he turned a whopping three years old yesterday. How did that happen? I don't know. Uh, yeah, 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 Ezra. Um, a part of me uh, struggles uh, to really remember what life was like before Ezra. And I could just get a, get a small glimpse in remembering the freedom that was had before children. Um, and another part of me uh, thinks that we were just taking uh, him home from the hospital uh, not too long ago. But it's fun uh, celebrating a fun, crazy boy. On top of Ezra's birthday, uh, my good buddy from college uh, just had his firstborn son yesterday. And so my firstborn and his firstborn, uh, they share uh, a birthday now. Uh, so we celebrate uh, with Jacob and Miranda. And on top of that, Ezra's Nana and Papa are here uh, in town visiting. Always a good time uh, to have family over the harsh part about living in Ohio for Jamie and I is living so far away from family. So we cherish time with family. And on top of that, Michigan State managed to win a game for once last night. And on top of that, yeah, you can laugh all you want, you Buckeye fans. Uh, on top of that, uh, we went to uh, the Cincinnati uh, Zoo yesterday as well. So you'd be pretty hard-pressed uh, to top our day yesterday in the McLean household. We, we had a lot of fun. Uh, but a lot of the fun things uh, that we did yesterday, uh, they cost money. You know, having a kid costs a lot, a lot of money. You know, a society would be aware of that. That would be a great form of birth control in our society is that an awareness that kids cost a lot of money. Uh, I watched the, the Michigan State game yesterday on the TV that we bought. That cost money. We went to the zoo yesterday, and the tickets to the zoo, they cost money. Uh, while at the zoo, we got ice cream off for Ezra, and that ice cream, lo and behold, it cost money. The pizza that we got on our way home from the zoo, you better believe it, that cost money. And our day yesterday would not have been nearly as good if we did not spend the money to do these things. And so my question for you all is, are we at fault for doing this? Are we at fault for, for spending the money on the tickets to the zoo, the ice cream, the, the pizza, the television? Uh, are, are we at fault for any of that? How can we justify buying some of these trivial things when there are so many other things we can use our money for? And I'm not, I'm not the only one uh, sitting in this boat either. We, we all buy things uh, from time to time uh, for fun. And my question for you is, are you at fault for buying these things from time to time that are for really no other purposes uh, than for your enjoyment? How exactly should we as Christians be spending our money? We can take a look at what the world does and how they manage their money, but I'm not too worried about it. I'm focused about how we as Christians, how we as a church, how should we be spending our money? And this is an important question that, that we're going to go ahead and tackle today as we continue our series on being a good steward of God's money. And so kind of a recap throughout this series. The first week of the series, we talked about proper Christian feelings towards money. When we identified four proper Christian feelings towards money. First one, it all belongs to God. Second, don't love money. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Number three, we cannot put our trust in our money. Why? That's such a foolish thing to put our trust in the uncertainties of riches. And number four, you cannot serve money. It's, it's a fact of life. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a choice. You cannot have it both ways. 
And so we must keep these four feelings of money at the forefront of our mind uh, during every single step of this series, as, as this is the framework for how we can be a good steward of God's money. And so within this framework of how we feel about money, last week we talked about how we earn money. Essentially, we earn money uh, through our work. And we discovered last week that work is a very good thing. It was one of the purposes of mankind from the very beginning. God placed um, Adam in the garden to work the garden, to work the ground. You were created to work. That's one of your purposes as a human being is to work. And God wants you to make, and through this work, God wants you to make all the money you need to do everything that God wants you to do. And so now that we understand how to earn money, the question then becomes is what do we do now that we have it? And there's really uh, three things that we can do with our money today. Number one, we can spend our money. Number two, we can save our money. And number three, we can give it away. And today uh, we're tackling uh, the first two, the principles of saving our money and spending our money. And so if you have uh, your Bibles, you can open up uh, to the book of Proverbs uh, this morning. We'll we'll read here just uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 21, verse 20 here. Solomon uh, addresses, the wise king Solomon, he he addresses this idea of saving our money, saving our uh, resources. As when we earn money, we we can keep a certain percentage of our money in our piggy bank and our savings account and or uh, certain investments. And these are all good things. This is very much a biblical principle of saving our money. As we see in the words of King Solomon in chapter 21, uh, verse 20 of Proverbs, Solomon says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So Solomon says that, that a wise person, a wise person has these possessions. They, they have this, pressure, this precious treasure and oil in their dwelling. In other words, they didn't consume it all right away. They, they saved some for a later date. On the other hand, Solomon says, a foolish man, he devours it. He devours it right away. What, what a foolish uh, decision uh, that is. And a foolish person uh, doesn't save any of their valuable, valuable possessions as they likely struggle with the, with the idea of instant gratification. Instant gratification is a big enemy of saving our money. We, we have the choice of spending our money now or spending it at a later date. We can get a number one at Chick-fil-A with a Dr. Pepper and, and Chick-fil-A sauce now, or we could save our money for a later date and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You, you pick your choice there. Uh, we can uh, buy the newest, uh, greatest gadget now, or we can save our money for a later date and settle for what we have now. And here Solomon tells us that, that the foolish person they devour all now. It's all now, 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 now. They, they, they're not saving in it. They, they don't have any precious, tr- 
precious treasure. I'm shocked with my words this morning. They don't have any precious treasure or oil sitting in their dwelling because they devour it now. And Solomon uh, in the 30th uh, Proverbs, he encourages us to mimic the ant. As we took a look at the ant uh, last week briefly and talking about the important principle of work. But not only is an ant working, but Solomon illustrates it in the 30th uh, proverb. We won't read there for the sake of time, but you can read it on, on your own. Uh, but, but he says that the ant it works in the summer so that it stores up food to provide for themselves at a later date. And Solomon says we need to mimic this attitude. We need to mimic this lifestyle as he talks about some of the wise little beings of uh, the earth and the ant being one of them as they are diligently working in the summer so that they can save some of their food for a later date. And Solomon says they are exceedingly wise. They are exceedingly wise for saving their food. On top of that, uh, Charles uh, Dickens, uh, often uh, regarded as the greatest novelist in the Victorian era, and uh, interesting fact, uh, thought to be a Unitarian uh, Christian himself, look it up. Uh, He says, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 19 and 6, result happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds, and annual expenditure, 20 pounds, and 6, result misery. Basically, he says, if you spend less than you make, that results in happiness. And on the other hand, if you spend more than you make, then that results in misery. So he points out the the importance of saving your money. And so saving your money is very much a good thing. It is a biblical principle that Solomon talks about uh, through uh, the book of Proverbs and how the wise man stores up, has his precious treasure and oil in their dwelling. And he talks about the ant being exceedingly wise because they store up their food. And so saving your money, it's very much a, a biblical principle. When you save your money, you're able to pay for that emergency down the road, whether that be your emergency or maybe you are able to pay for someone else's emergency uh, down the road. When when talking about saving our money, uh, I I think of a biblical example and I think of Joseph. You know, you guys remember the story of Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. And God kind of tells us the purpose of Joseph being uh, sold into Egypt so that he could store up food for his family. As there, there was a great famine that was coming, and, and Joseph was put in charge, second in command in this whole nation of Egypt, so that he could instruct the Egyptians to not consume all the food when, when the food was abounding, but to save some for the upcoming famine. And so Joseph is, is a brilliant example of someone who saved their possessions in the current state for a future date. So that's the first thing that, that we can do that with our money that we earn is we can save it. Second thing that we can do with our money is spending our money. And this is another biblical way that we can use our money. And we're going to break down uh, spending uh, the money that uh, God has blessed us with into uh, three sections. Number one, we're going to talk about uh, spending our money to provide for basic needs We're going to talk about uh, spending our money uh, to provide for our wants and our desires. And then number three, uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, spending our money uh, to advance God's kingdom uh, here on earth. And we were originally going to tackle all three of these uh, this morning, uh, but there was too much information. So we're going to save the advancing uh, God's kingdom with your money 
for next week. But that's going to continue our discussion on spending our money. And so for this morning, that leaves us with providing, spending our money by providing for our basic needs and spending our money uh, by uh, buying some of our wants and or uh, desires. So with some of the money that God has blessed us with, we are obliged to provide for our relatives, especially our household, our family. Paul tells uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. That, that, that is a powerful statement here. If you are someone who does not provide for your relatives, especially your own household, then guess what? You are worse than an unbeliever. What, what good would you be if you splurge on yourself with, with the resources that God has blessed you with, and you're all about me, 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 but you choose not to provide for your family at the same time? What sort of example would you be setting? It would not be a Christ-like example that you would be setting. Uh, it would be very much a hypocritical uh, perspective here. And so when I, when I take a look at this verse here and, and spending our money by providing for our family's needs, and I take a look at our current context here in America, I think this is something that, that we don't really see uh, too often uh, in America. America historically values family. There, there are definitely, definitely those uh, who uh, this does not apply to, that, that, that they don't provide for their families. But for the most part, Americans do a pretty good job of providing for their families. And on top of just the, the generic American, I would even say, even a, take it a step further, Christians in America, I think, historically have done a very good job of providing for their family. As family is just a very important uh, value in our society. A lot of people, we can kind of see that maybe that, that value is being degrading in our society day in and day out. But I would still say today, for for the most part, Americans, we, we value our family and we provide for our family. So I'm not really going to spend too much uh, more time uh, on this topic as, as I think we, we do a, a very good job of this. We, we as a church, we, we do a very good job of providing for our families. Another way that we can spend our money through our uh, basic needs is that if we live in the United States, we must pay for our basic right to live here. And how do we pay for our basic right to live here? Through taxes. Yeah, via taxes. This is a concept uh, that the people around uh, the time of Jesus struggled with, especially for the Jews. For most of uh, the Old Testament, the Israelites, they, they were a theocracy, uh, a system of government uh, that was basically a run by religion. And, and so the, this form of government run by uh, their religion, uh, they had certain tithes that they had to contribute to this nation of Israel. I know a handful of people uh, kind of view uh, the tithes in the Old Testament as sort of their taxation system. That, that, that was a way that, that the nation uh, could run. They had to Provide for the different necessities like the temple. They had a temple tithe. And now when we, and when we fast forward uh, to the New Testament era in the time of Jesus, during the life of Jesus, the Jews were still held to the tithe or some view as sort of the, the tax of the Old Testament. But at the same time as they were held to this tithe of the Old Testament, they were also obliged to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. 
So this is the environment that, that Jesus lived in. You know, we as uh, citizens of America, we really only pay uh, taxes uh, to our country and then which divides down to our state, sometimes our school district or city. But, but really, it, it all belongs uh, to uh, the nation of America, a kind of different environment that uh, Jesus lived in. And within this unique environment that the Jews lived in, take a look at with me uh, in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to be uh, reading verses uh, 15 through 22. In Matthew uh, chapter 22, uh, Jesus is approaching uh, the end of his ministry. And at this uh, point in time, uh, the Pharisees are completely fed up with Jesus. They wanted him gone. They wanted this madness to stop. They were tired of people choosing to follow this man, Jesus, who claimed to be their Messiah, the Christ. And so the Pharisees, the Jews, they, they wanted Jesus gone. And so in, in chapter 22, these different uh, groups of Jews, they're trying to stump Jesus. They, they, they want him to trip on his own words so that people will stop following him. And in the midst of this, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, it reads, And the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, the Pharisees, uh, they, they were setting up uh, Jesus here in, in, in a lose-lose situation here. Uh, as the Pharisees, they, be, they bring along some of their own disciples. The, the Pharisees, they wanted their, their own independence from the Roman Empire. They didn't really want to do much with, with, with this Roman Empire. They wanted freedom from the Roman Empire. And on the other hand, we have the Herodians, which we don't know a ton about uh, the Herodians, uh, but, but uh, the studies that I found this past week suggest uh, that the, this was another section of Jews who uh, got along very well with King Herod, who was the Roman king of the Judean region, the Roman king of the central hub of the Jews. And they got along with, with the Roman Empire. And so here we have one uh, set of Jews who did not get along well with, with the Roman Empire, wanted independence from them, and, and another uh, group uh, of Jews, the Herodians, who got along uh, well uh, with uh, King Herod and, and the Roman Empire in general. And so then they asked Jesus in this lose-lose situation, what then shall we do? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? In verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And so Jesus, Jesus, he, he sees what's happening here. They're, they're trying to set him up. They're, they're trying to entangle him in his words so that he loses his followers. And Jesus says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Come, come bring me a denarius, which, which was uh, uh, basically a day's wage for a laborer. And so they do this in, in uh, 19, show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. 
Jesus was put on the spot. He was put in a lose-lose situation. Uh, but the Pharisees, uh, they were under, underestimating who exactly they were dealing with. Because in this lose-lose situation that Jesus was presented with, he found uh, a way ahead of this. He found the, the ultimate victory here. He says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That is brilliant on-the-spot thinking. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, and to God the things that are God's. And so basically he's saying, whatever belongs to God, get to God. But on the other hand, whatever belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, it is, it is lawful to pay your taxes to Caesar. You know, Jesus in an earlier time was brought up with a similar situation with the temple tax. And Jesus said, yeah, I pay the temple tax. And so Jesus was someone who paid his taxes. He encouraged the people to pay their taxes. And uh, we can see that the same sentiment echoed um, in Matthew chapter 17 when Jesus presented with the temple tax. And also Paul addresses the same topic in Romans 13 verses 6 and 7 where he encourages citizens to pay their taxes. And so today for us in the 21st century as citizens of the United States of America in the state of Ohio, we shall pay the taxes that we are due. I know that's not, that's not the news that you wanted to hear uh, this morning, but we have to pay uh, for the basic right uh, to live in this country and the state, and sometimes in a particular city or a school district. When you don't pay the taxes that you are due, not only could you run into legal issues, but you are going against the grain of God's word. You're directly disobeying God's word. And so a lot of people, when I, when I take a look at, at Americans in general and the context that we live in today, a lot of us do, do a very good job of providing for our families we, as we have the, this deep sense of value for our families. But a lot of people here in America, they try to cheat the government out of the taxes that they are due. And, and Jesus, he, he discourages this. He says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You know, we have this right to live here in the United States of America and we have that right through the taxes that we pay. That enables us to, to live in this region. And when you don't partake in, in these taxes and trying to cheat the government out of their money, um, you, you're essentially uh, disobeying uh, God's word. And it's interesting that, that Jesus and Paul talks about this when they lived under the harsh Roman Empire, especially Paul. Paul, at a slight later date uh, than Jesus, Paul was confronted with wicked Roman emperors. Emperor Nero was, was an evil man. And Paul's saying, you got to pay your taxes. You got to pay your taxes. And so we, as we earn money as Christians, I think we, under the command of God, we are instructed to pay uh, the taxes that we are due. And so we, we are to spend our money by providing for our basic needs of eating, of drinking, uh, uh, providing for our family, and paying for our right uh, to live in, in our particular region. But on top of spending our money by providing for our basic needs, we can spend our money on our desires. And this is a little bit more uh, of a controversial aspect of how we can spend our money as Christians. 
This is uh, one of the handful of themes uh, throughout uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I really sincerely enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes. Many people find uh, the book to be very de- depressing. Uh, as Solomon, he, he kind of has a, a bleak, a very straightforward, realistic look at life. But to me, he, he's exploring the, the purpose of life and how enriching that is. And so the last uh, text that we'll take a look at uh, this morning here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul addresses, not Paul, uh, Solomon, he, he addresses this topic of spending our money on uh, certain uh, desires that we may have. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, we have to understand uh, the context that Solomon uh, writes this in. In uh, the previous verses here, before we read this section, uh, Solomon w- was uh, stating that he who loves his money will not be satisfied with it. The people who love their money, they just want more and more and more and more, and it's an unquenchable, it's unquenchable uh, sense of satisfaction that they have. And then Solomon, he continues, and he talks about a father who lost everything and didn't have anything for his son. And just as he came into this world naked without anything, so shall he go. And so in the midst of this humbling conversation about how we spend our money and not loving money, Paul, interestingly, writes in verse 18, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So now again, notice Solomon, he does not say we are to love money. He does not say we are to trust money. He does not say that we are to serve money. But instead, Solomon simply says we are to enjoy. We are to enjoy the wealth. We're, we're to enjoy the possession. We're to enjoy the power that God has blessed us with. Why? Because these are, the, these are gifts from God. This is the gift of God. And when you give a gift to your child, you want them to enjoy that gift. Likewise, with this gift that God has blessed us with, he wants us to enjoy it, I think. When we enjoy the fruits of our labor, that encourages us to work more. We, and we learned from, from last week that work is very much a good thing. It was rewarding uh, for me uh, yesterday to, to buy and share a, a cup of ice cream with Ezra. That, that encouraged me to continue in my work, to continue to make a wage, and again, that worked very much good. I also like uh, here how in this passage, Solomon points out that we are here only for a short bit of time. Whether you live 5, 10, 20, 50, 80, 100 or more years, that is so short compared to in eternity. So let's not put all of our focus on this uh, short bit of time. So that's a side note there. But, but as Christians, uh, I don't think we have to feel guilty for enjoying the fruits of our labor. Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2 in Ecclesiastes 3, 13 echo the same sentiment as well. I don't think we have to feel guilty for buying some ice cream, buying a cool gadget, or whatever else. These wealth, these possessions, these are gifts from God. Now, the issue comes 
when we fail to realize that it all belongs to God. The issue comes when we put our love in this money and these possessions. The issue comes when we put our trust in our money and possessions. And the issue comes when we serve money and not God. But the fact of the matter is that the wealth, the the enjoyment that we get out of the possessions that we have, it does not need to be an issue. But too many people make it an issue because they don't recognize who gave them this good gift. They don't recognize that, that, that we can't love these things of the earth. They put their trust in these possessions of the earth, and they choose to serve this money rather than God. And so it doesn't have to be an issue enjoying the, these possessions, this money, but a lot of people choose to make it an issue. And so today, we discussed uh, some of the options uh, that we have once we earn money. We can save our money, very much a biblical principle. We can spend our money on uh, basic needs, very much a biblical principle. And we can also spend our money on some of our desires. We, we can enjoy the fruit of our labor with our money, which again, very much a biblical principle when, you take, when we take a look at the words of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the other two things that we can do with our money. And these, these last two things that we'll talk about, one, advancing God's kingdom here on earth, both through the money that we spend and give away. And last week, we'll talk about the money that we give away. And so with the money that, that we attain, we need to find a proper balance, a proper balance of providing for our basic needs, a proper balance uh, of indulging in the certain desires or wants that we have, proper balance of advancing God's kingdom here on earth, and a proper balance of giving our money away. And so as you reflect this week uh, on how we spend our, our uh, money, remember that we must keep these proper Christian feelings towards the money that God has blessed us with. As the, the money, the possessions that, that we have been blessed with, they're very much a, a gift from God. All good things come from God. But these good things in life, they can very much become a stumbling block. Again, if we don't recognize that it all belongs to God, we don't love money, we don't trust money, we can't serve money. Hopefully by, by the end of the series, you all will be able to recite these four proper Christian feelings towards money because really, again, that's the framework of our whole discussion. You can't talk about how we earn money if you don't first understand how we are to feel about money. And when we understand these feelings, we can then begin, begin to understand that we can provide for our basic needs. We can enjoy in, in, in the pleasures that God has blessed us with, and we can do this all while serving and worshiping our heavenly father so that you and I, we can become good stewards of God's money. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many good gifts that you have blessed us with. Father, I just pray that we're able to recognize all these good things, they come from you. Father, keep us away from the temptation to love our money, to trust our money. And Lord, please keep us away from the temptation of serving money. So Father, we, we thank you 
for the many, many good gifts that you bless us with. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.